Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Planet Labs CEO and co-founder Will Marshall first joined this podcast shortly after Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year to discuss the Earth Imaging Company's role in capturing and publicly releasing satellite images of the Russian military buildup on the border and subsequent attack. Planet, which boasts the largest constellation of Earth imaging satellites in orbit, continues to monitor the globe for governments and companies alike. The space company is generating so much data, Marshall says generative AI is a natural fit. The more exciting thing right now with AI is actually applying it on our historical archive, because we have over 2,000 images for every point on the Earth's landmass documenting change over time. So we can train AI on top of that to then do uh, analysis of what is new um, on a day-to-day basis. It means Planet can offer space-based data that enables more analysis and even prevention of things like natural disasters, for example, wildfires. Nonetheless, shares of Planet Labs have had a tough run, down more than 40% this year, more than 55% over the last 12 months as the company has cut full-year revenue guidance twice. On this episode, we dive into AI-powered predictive analytics, the next-gen satellites under development, and whether investors grasp where this Earth imaging market is headed. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. Um, You're staying busy at Planet. There's a lot for us to talk about. Um, but first, let's start with maybe the fact that, um, you know, you've had you've inked a number of contracts, a, a number of new deals. You extended a, a, an agreement with NASA recently. I guess um, I guess break it down for me. Yeah, I mean, we, we have three main go to market segments. One is commercial. One is civil government and one is defense and intelligence. And so on the those, yeah, we, we on the first, we've done a whole bunch of deals. Um, uh, in the agricultural space, uh, for example, we work with companies like Bayer and BASF on improving crop yields and precision farming, it's called. It's a lot to do with digital transformation of those sectors. Uh, with civil government, uh, you mentioned NASA. Yeah, we just extended our partnership with NASA. That's a fantastic arrangement that has enabled scientists across their organization and then across universities uh, uh, across the United States to get access to our data. And it has led to incredible innovation that is enabling and underpinning applications. So it's not just scientific research about what's going on on the planet, but it's also underpins things like those agriculture, um, disaster response and other use cases for other people. Um, And then on the defense and intelligence side, we are working with a number of organizations uh, around the planet to really, it's about finding new threats. It's about monitoring security. Um, For example, we've been working in Ukraine and there it's been across various aspects of that. But in general, transparency in all three of these domains is helping to bring about accountability. I remember the last time you and I spoke for this podcast, actually, um, you know, Ukraine had just happened. Russia had just invaded Ukraine. And it really sort of thrust planet into the 
international spotlight in the sense that you're putting a lot of material, a lot of images out saying, hey, listen, this invasion is coming. Um, here's how it's playing out in basically real time. Um, and, and for better or worse, you, you've sort of become the go-to data um, for what's going on, you know, good and bad across the globe uh, and sort of calling out lies, for example, with the Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, has that just, I, I guess, ha have you seen your prominence and demand off, uh, off for, the, for the products you have um, increase because of that? Um, to some extent, I mean, certainly um, this is shedding light on the power of these tools. I mean, but what, you know, we're trying to do whatever we can to help for sure. And it's helping in three main ways. It's, it's helping advance peace and security through operational help. It's helping um, the humanitarian operations of many NGOs that are doing crisis response, bringing medical supplies and so on. We've worked with the United Nations to do a damage assessment of all the buildings across Ukraine. What will it cost to rebuild the country? Uh, we did a lot of work with through NASA Harvest with uh, assessing crop yields. That then it's really important because 40% of the grain for the poorest countries in the world comes from Ukraine. And so their production of crops is not just important for Ukrainians, it is also important for the rest of the world. Assessing that, assessing the impact on other countries that are dependent on those grains is really important. So we've been uh, trying to do some of that work and release that. And and to your point about accountability, um, you know, when, uh, we, we have in many cases shown accountability. In the case of the grain, uh, found it where it found when ships have uh, been stealing grain against sanctions, taking it from the Russian controlled piece of Ukraine to Syria or Turkey against those embargoes. And then that's helping to shed light for everyone to see on what's going on. I mean, I think the broader sense here is that, that this technology uh, is shifting a, a new level of transparency to these sorts of events. And that brings accountability. And I think that's important because it advances peace and security because um, it's, um, it, 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 it helps uh, open societies. Um, it brings accountability. And I think it coheres society because we provide that imagery also where appropriate to news uh, media, which is what you often see online when you see information about what's going on in the war. Um, and that helps cohere society. It, it reduces the gap between what the politicians know and what everyone knows so that we can all, um, uh, so it's part of the, if you like, the hearts and minds of us all staying uh, behind Ukraine in this situation. I have to ask one more question on this and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. And that is, you know, what, what are you seeing based on your data and on the imagery you're collecting off your satellites where Ukraine is concerned right now? There's been a lot of focus on the counteroffensive, you know, in recent months and just sort of the state of the conflict. Yeah, well, I mean, it, 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 I'm not an expert on the conflict, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, our imagery is used by myriad organizations. And, you know, it's obviously a, a complicated affair and it's going to take time. Um, it's slow progress. And and uh, but, you know, what we're focused on is is whatever we can do to help bring that transparency, bring that accountability to the situation and really working with our partners at um, news media, think tanks and and governments that are trying to help. OK, um, so I guess we're you know, you mentioned that three different buckets. Where are you seeing yeah. the most demand and the most growth right now? Then I would say probably the biggest demand is in civil government. Um, uh, we we have done a whole bunch of collaborative partnerships um, um, 
we have uh, we work with the state of New Mexico on regulation enforcement, Humboldt County on marijuana growth enforcement, all sorts of things like that. But recently, the, what's been driving it most of all has been disaster response. Um, so this is, uh, you know, we've been uh, trying as best we can to help in situations where there's disasters. Take, for example, the um, fire in, in Maui. Um, we were trying to be as quickly as possible assessing what buildings were damaged across Lahaina, um, trying to get that data into the hands of the first responders like the Red Cross and others um, that were on the ground trying to help. They can then determine where to put relief supplies and so on that's, that's uh, quickest and, and trying to help save lives. Um, we've been working with three Canadian provinces on fire uh, response there because they've been having terrible wildfires as well. But then once we get into that piece, we then quickly graduate into a discussion of how can we do preventative work in this sort of territory? So not just response to a fire, um, but how can we get ahead of it? Our data enables us to scan and find um, all the, um, actually we can measure biomass um, uh, through our different spectral bands on our satellites. And this enables us to tell where's the stock of wood growth that could be the source of a mega fire? Where might you want to put a fire lane that might cut that off and reduce the probability of a big fire? And so we work with governments like these provincial governments in Canada uh, to, uh, to try and mitigate uh, and reduce the potential. And you know the world is spending hundreds of billions. The US alone is spending a few hundred billion a year on disaster response, the EU similarly. And if you can get ahead of some of that, you can obviously save billions of dollars if you could reduce. In the case of Lahaina, let me just get a bit more specific. We could see that there were invasive species in that area, that the soil moisture was very dry. We can actually tell the amount of soil moisture in the soil, and we can see it was very dry. We could see that there were um, a, a brush too close to power lines. That's the kind of thing you can get ahead of and clear uh, so that you reduce the danger of wildfires. So we are trying to not just help uh, with support afterwards, but um, preventative work as well. And that's a huge value to civil governments around the planet. Mm. Um, it raises the question, what's the role that AI plays in all of this, especially when uh, you start going from defensive to preventative? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, actually, AI is doing more and more in predictive analytics, to your point. Like, you know, soon you'll be able to just ask it, where will, where is there likely uh, sources of, of megafires or where's there likely sources of drought? As I mentioned, we have this data on soil moisture across the whole planet every day. We can measure the soil moisture. And if it's uh, too dry, you might worry about uh, fires and bushfires. Uh, if it's too wet, if it's saturated, you know that the next time it rains, it's going to flood. And already we can start getting a little bit predict predictive. But AI is going to take that to the next level in terms of showing where and when the most likely areas are. But I think the more exciting thing right now with AI is actually applying it on our historical archive, because we have over 2,000 images for every point on the Earth's landmass documenting change over time. So we can train AI on top of that to then do uh, analysis of what is new um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And let me get a little bit more concrete. Um, in history, in, in, for years, we've been using machine learning to uh, do uh, what we call object identification. So in an image, 
here's a building, here's a road, here's a ship, here's a plane, count those objects, how many are there, how many over time, what's the changes? But that each such model for houses or planes or ships or roads uh, took months to develop, figuring out how to work in uniform ways across the planet. And we did indeed, after some time in those sort of efforts, uh, do a global map of all the world's roads, all the world's buildings, which I think was the first time that had ever been done. And we use that operationally to help customers. Take, for example, our customers in, in Brazil. Uh, we work with federal police there. And we monitor the entire Amazon every week and do automatic searches for new roads. If there's any new roads, roads are normally the early signs of deforestation because the clear cutting, uh, um, normally first there's a road encroachment into the forest and then they start cutting down trees. So we know that roads are an early sign of deforestation. So we do this weekly review of all new roads with this machine learning and then help them to determine where to go and stop illegal deforestation. And that's having a real impact on helping us keep the Amazon. But that's what we call classical machine learning. Where we're going now with large language models, with generative AI, is a bit of a different place. And it has shocked even me, just the progress that has happened in the last few months. So really, this has enabled us to, from training models that take months to train, to being able to train once and then search for anything within minutes um, okay. across large territories. So the first use case of this was the, um, the balloon, uh, the, the Chinese spy balloon that was floating across the United States. And some people in the US government said, hey, do you know how to find that? And well, we didn't have a model trained on, um, on finding balloons. We worked with our partners and Synthetic who've been using some of these large language models on our data. And we quickly together were able to find the balloon, trace it back in time through our archive to where through time it had, it had traveled all the way back to where it was launched in Hainan uh, province in, in China. And that is incredible power. Now, the next question is, where are all the balloon flights across all the world through time? And can you alert me if there's any new balloon flights? That power is huge and suddenly in the hands of an individual can do a search across a whole continent <laughs> for objects. And so we're getting much closer to a vision that I painted out in a TED talk five years ago called Queryable Earth. Whilst Google have figured out how to index the internet and make it searchable, we're figuring out how to index the earth and make it searchable. And the power of that is tremendous. I thought that was many years off and now it seems months off. Wow. Um, I have many questions for you. The first one though, I'm gonna pick up on what you said and that's synthetic data. And I know you work with startups like Rendered AI and what, what is synthetic data? Oh, synthetic is a company Oh, do, do you mean synthetic data? Because sometimes we generate synthetic data, like on our carbon yeah. map emission for people to test before the satellite gets launched. Or do you mean synthetic, the company that's doing AI work? Oh, um, I meant um, like the, I meant the former. Okay, yeah. Um, so in the case of our um, work on carbon mapper, this is our hyperspectral uh, set of satellites. Uh, we call the satellites themselves tanagers after these very colorful birds that look almost hyperspectral. Uh, called tanagers and those those satellites are going to have 400 color spectral bands um, we are generating synthetic data using some of those instruments on the ground um, some modeling methods so that we can give that data and we have a a, a set a class of about 20 early users um, before the satellites are even launched to test out that synthetic data 
uh, to get ahead and start training their AI and uh, algorithms on top of that data. So that by the time we launch the satellite, they're ready to go. Okay. And so when we, I guess I'm just trying to understand when we talk about like synthetic data, we're talking about like, we're talking about, you know, use cases that haven't, that, that don't exist or like data that doesn't actually exist or that's been like artificially created to help. Generated. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and the, the thing is that it isn't really a commercial hyperspectral uh, market yet. Uh, yeah. We're generating something new here. Um, the, the, the hope, uh, the main mission of this, hence the name Carbon Mapper, is to track carbon emissions around the planet, methane and CO2 emissions. It also has a wide variety of other applications. Biodiversity tracking, really huge. Uh, defense and intelligence, uh, because it can see from the paint what kind of uh, vehicle, where did it come from, because it's so accurate um, at detecting objects. Um, that it can do things like that. So there's a lot of different applications, but we have to explore that. Uh, there hasn't been systems like this in the uh, commercial realm before. And so, yeah, we're priming the pump with synthetic data. How does this speak to where the planet um, fleet is going, this, the, the constellation of satellites is going? I mean, you have the largest constellation um, orbiting the Earth right now uh, for Earth imaging capabilities. You just mentioned Tanager, you've got Pelican under development as well. Um, how does all of this continue to evolve? Yeah, I mean, basically, we, our job at Planet is to continue to have the best data in orbit. Um, we want to continue to innovate. So um, that means getting better on the three ways you can improve satellite data, um, the three kinds of resolution. Spatial resolution, that's the one you typically think about, the size of the pixels. You want to get better and better spatial resolution, more accurate and accurate imagery. Um, secondly, uh, temporal resolution. How quickly do we revisit places and how quickly can we get the imagery back because for example in disaster response we'd love that image instead of a few hours if we could get it in 30 minutes that would be yeah. better right and that's so that's the direction that we're going with pelican and then the final uh, thing is spectral resolution that is the number of uh, uh, of color bands and that's the direction we're going with tanager our goal is to continue to improve in all three of those axes but i would hasten to add that whilst that's a core back end What's perhaps more exciting is how we're going up the stack to enable people to have, make it easier to use, to get access and to get value from that data. So a lot of our work in recent uh, uh, time is more on the software stack that sits on top of the satellite imagery to make it easier to extract value. So it's this idea of software as a service, but space-based software as a service or space-based data as software as a service. Absolutely. So Planet is a satellite company, but it's evolved over time from just a satellite company to really a satellite, a, a data company. Um, our business is selling data streams on via a platform. And this is why I use the analogy to Bloomberg. I think it really, to, uh, Planet is, is analogous to Bloomberg. Bloomberg serves up data feeds that help people make smarter decisions, right? Um, mainly in the financial uh, sector. Uh, stack, tracking stocks and so on. We're doing similarly, except our data is earth imagery and analytics that sits on top of that. But it, in, similarly, it, it's provided by a platform. You can mix and match it, and it solves and helps you make decisions uh, for smarter resource allocation. I think the only difference is that we sit on a proprietary data set, whereas Bloomberg primarily aggregates public source stock information from exchanges and so on. We collect it using a fleet of satellites, so it's very hard, very hard to replicate. But, but just like Bloomberg, uh, those data feeds 
to go deep into people's decision making uh, across those government and commercial users that we have and that enables them to make smarter decisions and it and it and it frankly makes it very sticky for planet as a product mm. would you ever go beyond uh just imaging and earth observation i mean there's there's other capabilities and other satellites other startups that are um that are in this in this space but not necessarily direct competitors with you as well how do you, how do you think about the marketplace evolving and and becoming a one-stop shop essentially well we did call it planet for a reason to not have limits to our ambitions not even just earth <laughs> but I'm, in all seriousness uh, we really are mainly focused on earth imaging i mean look i think there's a massive market opportunity the world is undergoing a digital transformation all those industries like agriculture as they figure out how to become more efficient using digital technologies we're key to that the world needs to move towards a sustainable planet which is a multi-trillion dollar transition uh, that planet can help not just with disaster response but monitoring ecosystems valuing carbon that enables us to do carbon markets that all needs data and then finally on peace and security challenges around the world that are you know of incredible import um, and exacerbated by the sustainability challenges and the climate challenges uh, where you have more refugee crisis more climate uh, driven droughts and so on planet's needed more than ever before and i think that's a massive uh, opportunity for us to 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 go after it's worthy of a standalone company we don't need to go into lots of different directions to do that um we're already sitting on a massive data archive uh, we mentioned at our last earnings call uh, we've got a huge pipeline of opportunities over 70 uh deals more than a million dollars sitting in our pipeline we've got to stay focused on executing against that um and not getting distracted by going to mars or something <laughs> um gotcha uh how big is the market i mean you said it's a huge market do you sort of have a, a number in your head um yeah i mean we've we've talked about the fact that we think it's a, 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 a about a hundred billion uh the, the planet can go after as a market opportunity it's a little bit hard to estimate of course because it doesn't exist it's a bit like asking google how big is the search market before google existed right um there, there isn't that market today. We are making it. But in, if you think about, let me just take one uh, example. Um, we have to move to a sustainable economy. We are, our economy, our, our uh, system uh, of society is battling against the planetary boundaries, but not just on climate, but also on biodiversity loss and other challenges. And we need to uh, fix that. And the best way to fix that is to judo move capitalism to value carbon and nature into its economic system. Governments are going to force this by saying, hey, every company, you're going to need to balance not just your books in terms of finances, you're going to need to balance your carbon books. What's your input and output? And people are already doing this at some level. Microsoft is trying to offset its carbon. Uh, many other companies are trying to do the same, but soon it's not going to become a voluntary thing. It's going to become a a, 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 a a regulatory enforced thing. The EU is already moving in that direction in many ways. The, even the SEC in the US is pushing for the same. Companies are going to be forced to do that. Now, the next step. So a company says, well, I'm going to get to carbon neutral at the end of the year. Well, the first thing they're going to need to do is how much carbon are they using? Where is it? How do I track it? So that they know how to reduce it. We are... Um, uh, now launching later this year, a very exciting thing called a, uh, a, a forest carbon planetary variable. Basically, not just we have forest data that we use to help 64 countries 
uh, stop deforestation, all the tropical belt countries. But now we're going to start measuring the amount of carbon in each tree around the earth on a quarterly basis, enabling us to um, underpin carbon markets. There was, I saw a Financial Times article the other day that estimated by some economists that it's about a $100 trillion transition, about $3 trillion a year for about 30 years to transition to a sustainable economy. And everyone's going to need to measure their carbon. And planet is going to start with the forest carbon, but move on to other aspects of carbon, blue carbon, the ocean carbon, then seagrass and, and kelp and so on. Brown carbon, the carbon in the soil. We're already measuring the water in the soil. We want to measure the carbon in the soil. It's also measuring emissions using the Tanager spacecraft, the carbon mapper uh, program that I mentioned earlier. Between them, we should be able to, for every hectare on the earth, measure the carbon inputs and outputs. And that's going to be what enables people to put the carbon on their balance sheet. Um, I checked uh, the other day and, and Ernst & Young, the accounting firm, is about a $50 billion business, revenue business um, annually. And they're doing accounting for people's finances. Well, there's a whole business opportunity in accounting for people's carbon <laughs> balances and, and helping people to measure that. And a planet is in an incredible position to underpin that kind of sector. Hmm. Do you think investors fully appreciate or realize where you're going with this? Nope. <laughs> Next question. No, absolutely not. I mean, look, I, I think they understand that it's cool data, that it's new, uh, that it has value. I mean, when they see that stuff on uh, that, that's helping Ukraine, when we see the disaster response in the news and our imagery is there, there's a value proposition. But fundamentally, the scale of it, I think, is uh, not understood. And this is why I keep on talking about those tailwinds, that digital transformation, sustainability mm. um, transformation, because that's the scale of the opportunity for Planet to help. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're in a transition, but I think the, the investors in the market hasn't fully understood the, the, the power of these tools. I think also, you know, we, we are seeing now, we, we talked about AI. AI is a big accelerant of that. Um, it accelerates, we've got this huge stack of data. What a lot of investors I don't think fully understand is that there's a lot of power in algorithms and that can help improve what you can find and the value extraction from data. But honestly, data is where the, the, it's all at. The economists quip that data is the new oil. Because just like oil, it underpins lots of sectors. Data is going to underpin lots of sectors. And it's the data that's really unique. Um, you, you'll see some of the large tech companies open sourcing their AI algorithms. You will never see them open source their data. And there's a really good reason for that. That's their differentiated capability. That's how you train your algorithms to do new things that no one else can. Planet is sitting on an archive of a massive amount of Earth imaging data with huge power to help the world. And so AI accelerates our access to that. Uh, but it's really the data that's the, the, the bigger powerful force than the algorithms now because the algorithm is somewhat being commodified. Mm. Um, okay, so, I, so you've, laid, you've laid out the picture, you've laid out the vision, you've laid out where the company's going. I do want to ask, though, because... Because to your point about, you know, sort of whether Wall Street has, you know, fully grasped this or not. I mean, you, you did uh, trim your guidance for the year. And I realize you're still growing top line double digit percentages. Um, why? Is it macroeconomic uncertainty? Is the fact that, you know, it's this idea of keeping up with demand in the pipeline? 
Um, I guess, how do you see the near term versus this longer term picture? It's a great, great question. Look, I think fundamentally it's about execution. Um, we have faced some headwinds coming to the year, a few um, um, big deals that changed um, and moved out. And then, and then there is some economic headwinds on the commercial uh, sector of our business where deals are taking a little bit longer. But honestly, um, the opportunity still remains as it always has. Um, the scale of the opportunity is, is huge. I mentioned the 70 deals over a million dollars in our pipeline. We've got, uh, I think, five over eight-figure deals, so over $10 million in our pipeline. We've got a huge pipeline, but it's us, our job to go execute against that, right? So it's our job to, and, and that's about more efficient sales processes, about focusing down. It's, and and we, we did uh, some restructuring early in the year, partially because we need to stay really honed and focused on the, the growth areas that are going to work. Look, it's not easy, and it's a, it's a tricky economic environment. But Planet has a huge opportunity to go after. And I think the way I think about it is in the long term. So Planet um, is you know, helping those big tailwinds. If you think about what happened at the last economic downturn, the companies that came out of that strong are the biggest companies in the world today. What do you think are going to be the attributes of companies that come out of this economic situation strong? I think there's going to be two things. One is they're going to help us with the sustainability transition because the world has to undergo that. The second is that they're relevant to AI because AI is driving the next economy. And I believe Planet is well situated in both of those regards, right, um, to, to, to tap into that opportunity. So that's the exciting thing that I'm focused on. And, and thankfully, we have a fantastic team. We have plenty of capital in the bank after we, we went public to get to profitability. But we're, we've just got to stay focused on executing effectively and efficiently um, to, towards our growth uh, goals. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by following us wherever you get your podcasts and by watching our coverage on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.